Welcome to Leadership Revealed, where John Paul shares his no-nonsense approach to all things leadership and scaling businesses. John interviews some of the most successful people in their industries to see what it takes to become a great leader. Be prepared for the truth about leadership and business. Please welcome your host, serial entrepreneur and top-selling author, John Paul. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Leadership Revealed. And I'm absolutely thrilled to let you know my guest is Greg Bateman, who is um, a current professional rugby player. He's played for Exeter, Leicester, and he's now at the Dragons. He's CEO and founder of the People's Captain. So I want you, everyone to give him a warm welcome. Greg, welcome, and how are you? Uh, well, I was waiting for the applause when you said <laughs> welcome, a warm welcome. I mean, I'm good. How are you? Awesome, awesome. I mean, just to give a bit of context and complete clarity, we've known each other for quite a new a few years now. We've been pals for probably what four years, five years. So um pulled in a favor yeah. and got you on the podcast. Yeah, mate, it's uh it's a pleasure, pleasure to be chatting to you again. And we, just before we were recording, it was like, Oh, and how's this and how's that? And we're like, Oh shit, yeah. we've got to start recording them and it will catch up another <laughs> we'll time. But we'll have to do some work, won't we? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was better to do something. But yeah, always good. Thank you, my man. Good, good stuff. Well, I think what's going to be really, really interesting for uh, for our readers, lead, obviously, the, it's called Leadership Revealed, but you've got a number of different aspects and, and facets. I mean, you're a very successful uh, rugby player, currently professional with the Dragons. You're a, a founder and CEO of the People's Captain um, uh, Craft Brewing, which we're going to chat about in a second. You're in the property. You've, you've been quite successful in that and served as accommodation. So you're pretty successful at whatever you try. You've got quite a few hands and things and a few pies. I've, I've tried a few things. Um, I, 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 honestly, I think, um, I, and we, we may have spoken about this before, I would much rather have a go and get it wrong than I would not have a go. So I don't ever necessarily look at things as success or failure. I'm probably more Carol Dweck, growth mindset kind of vibe anyway um so I think you know if you looked at people's captain or if you looked at the service accommodation it could be loads of things that could improve or could have been done better I mean there were loads of things that I could have done better with the service accommodation but I don't ever think it's it's success or a fail it's a continual improvement if that Mm. makes sense but I'm sure that's maybe a little bit too academic heavy in the first five minutes but (laughs) Hey, we'll see how we go. <laughs> no, it's absolutely perfect. I mean, one one of the things that I was really surprised about was when you did, um, you kindly came and did a guest spot, speaking spot at, um, at an event that myself and my former business partner put on a good four or five years ago now. And I remember you've, you'd not done a lot of public speaking at that time and you're, you're, you're a little bit nervous. And to see you absolutely smash it out the park was an understatement. I mean, you never came across nervy and... It's that, that whole growth mindset, I think, that putting yourself in unusual positions. You were hilarious. Everybody was absolutely peeing themselves laughing. I don't even think you knew how funny you were. Um, oh, no, I, I, I do know how funny I am. Yeah. Oh, did you? you, you well, if that's <laughs> yeah. the case, you got the jokes absolutely spot on. Well done. Oh, no, Michael McIntyre would have been proud. <laughs> no, no, well, I think that was it. Uh, you know, we, we obviously do a lot of corporate stuff and it's a different vibe. I think probably in that specific context, I actually only just remembered that now. Um, in that specific context, what I would, what I probably would have been nervous about was in that 
arena, you know, I was speaking to people who had an awful lot more business experience than I did. And I think for me, it was, and even now with any sort of consultancy or coaching stuff I do with, with businesses, it, I don't tell people how to run their businesses. I'm talking from my personal experience about being a sportsman or something I've learned. It's, it's not, um, oh, JP, I can make your letting agency so much better with these three things I've learned from being a rugby player. It's not really about that. It's more, this is something I've learned. Where do you see the transfer? And then we'll work on it together, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, no, that's a really good idea. It's a really good poignant point because there's a lot of coaches and, and and people who are it's quite a I don't know hot topic at the moment. And I do hear a lot of people who they are telling their people, telling their clients what they should be doing. And I think it's got to be a transfer of knowledge rather than you must do this, you have to do that. It's got to be this is what worked for me. Let's let's have a look at your business. Could it work for you rather than actually telling them? Well, I mean, if you think about the most powerful pieces of information you've learned, would they be specific industry pieces of information? Or this is an actual question now. I know you're supposed to be asking me the questions, but (laughs) are they experiences in your life, cage fighting life, personal life, things that you've heard from people in other sectors that you've then translated into your business? 100%, it's got nothing to do with property. It's everything out. Like my sport and career was all about out hustling and outperforming the next person. Making sure you're the, you know, the hardest worker in the room, that, that type of thing. So mm. it's definitely not I, industry knowledge, other than like the technical competent, competency of aspect of it. But, the, but that, those sort of things like competencies, everybody knows that, don't they? Yeah. But I think the things that have helped me the most in my day job, rugby, and in my other stuff has been things from other industries or other areas that have helped me the most, personally. No, that's exactly the same same as I. So who is Greg Bateman? Let's let's go back to baby Bateman all them years ago. You know, the whole rugby journey, where do you get in? um, I mean, I met you, I think you just signed for Leicester when I met you. Or you'd only been there about a year. Yeah. So right back when grew up in Surrey and uh, went through the Harlequins Academy, had some time out in the real world selling um, HGV licensed training courses, which I loved. Um, and I was early 20s, maybe, no, I was 20. And I sort of was chatting to my mates at the time. I was like, listen, if I don't really give this a shot with the rugby stuff, I think I'll get to 30 and I'll really regret it because I'll always wonder if I could have made it. So a guy I used to play for, um, or was an academy coach, uh, he had a local team. He was like, I'll oh, just come, come and do a season with me and see if you still enjoy it. And then someone he used to play with was an agent and he sort of got chatting and he'd he'd known me from the age group stuff. And he's like, Oh, well, London Welsh were in the championship at the time and they need someone. You can go and do that. And bear in mind, you know, I was 20 years old, earning really good money at this sales job. And I had to quit that move in with my sister on 15 grand a year as an as an adult uh from like a big 
six-figure salary um, to go and make this work for a year. We played in the championship for a year, had a really good season. We got promoted to the premiership without a stadium, rugby balls or any kit. Somehow, like, we, it was amazing. And we had a really good premiership campaign and uh, the owner pulled out with a few weeks to go and then we had a points deduction for some administrative errors, uh, which is a, another great story in itself. And then got picked up by Exeter, which I loved, as in a place, loved the boys, loved the, you know, living in Devon. My son was born there um, and my mum and dad lived there. And Devon is home for me now, I would say. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't playing enough. And I was just super honest with with Rob at the time, and just said, "Look, I I need to be playing, mate. You know, I'm, I would have been what 25 at the time, and needed to needed to go." And and Leicester came in and had five great years there, and mm. yeah, and then obviously that ended really well, um, which hasn't been publicised at all. And Can here I am. Can we just talk a little yeah, bit about that? What you, what you can talk yeah. about? I mean, obviously, Greg's uh, taken the mic a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't divulge specific details, but uh, it was fairly public that there was five of us who, um, you know, our, our contracts were um, were ended over sort of a, a pay cut dispute, which has all been all been sorted now and all uh, all is forgiven and. You, you know, those of us that, um, you know, weren't in a position to to do what we needed to do. I'm trying to think of the best way to to phrase this, really. Uh, we, we moved on to Pastures New, but I, I'm at the, the Dragons now, having a great time. Um, and it's a very, very different challenge in the sense that when you play for Leicester Tigers, you're playing for a club that has... Um, an amazing history, you know, is the biggest rugby club in, in the country in maybe in Europe, like it's huge. And the, the history is fantastic, but you, you know, you take that with you every time you, you take to the field. And it was a fairly tumultuous five years. You know, I had five different head coaches in, in the five years that I was there and it wasn't a particularly settled environment. Um, but I've come to Dragons, which has always been the fourth region of Wales, and Dean Ryan's here with a, a really long-term plan about developing people, not just as rugby players, but outside of sport. And, um, you know, it's a totally different challenge because you don't have everything laid out for you and, you know, you have to work problems out for yourself. And it's... Uh, it's really good because even at my stage in my career where, you know, I've probably only got, you know, I don't know, a few years left in me. It's great to be pushing myself in more than just a playing capacity. You know, I'm pushing myself in a leadership sense and how I nurture young lads and how I help people develop around me. So uh, I couldn't be more pleased with where I am. So let's talk about rugby in general context. I mean, you know, I've played rugby at nowhere near the level you have, but my sporting career, I would say that if it wasn't for sport, I'd be in a very different place. It's given me skill sets I didn't think I could pick up. It's given me friendships I'd have never had, um, discipline, the value of hard work, values, ethics, really knowing the difference between right or wrong, 
camaraderie with your mates. I mean, when you know you you play in rugby or you're going into the cage or the ring or whatever, and um, your your training has to do the work for you. So you, you've you've got that whole mindset of work work harder than the next person. I mean, what what has rugby brought for for you? Is it is it the similar sort of values, similar sort of skill set? Yeah, I, I I think so. I think um, definitely learning as you get older about this growth mindset piece, which I do think is really important. So I apologize if I talk about it too much, but I think in terms of when you think about professional sport, generally speaking, you're talking about the pressure of playing and winning and getting it all right and knowing your role and all the rest of it. Um, But realistically, that's all that does is you just tick a box, Mm. you know, every, I've been at what four or five rugby clubs. Every club trains really hard, and all the clubs say we train harder than everybody else. And <laughs> like, it's just not true. So I think what you have to do is think about how you can get better. And when I, I think this might have been where I, what I spoke about back at your event actually, JP, is it's easy to look at your performance and say I want to be twenty percent better or want to be 20% fitter, but that's very difficult to then actually work that back, reverse engineer exactly how you're going to do that. So you spend more time, I think, prepare, I would say prepare, preparation and planning is probably a big thing for performance. Mm. Um, like I'm super hot on my week preparation now, where my downtime is, where my uptime is, what, what I'm doing at every given moment, not just from a performance point of view, but from a, a mental and holistic point of view as well. Mm. But I think my point is, sorry, that was a little side uh, side bit, but I think the point being that if you can then say, right, well, I want to be 20% better, but really what that looks like is I need to be 5% stronger. I need to have 5% better aerobic capacity. I need to have 5% better mobility and 5% something else, lose some body fat or whatever. Um that's a much more achievable and B is a lot easier to measure and you can build those things into your week rather than just this great big, we're going to be 20% better. Well, better than what and better at what is, is a difficult thing to actually hang your hat on. So, I mean, you're much more KPI. You're a very KPI kind of guy, aren't you? And I, I suppose we're not really like that, but I think if you've got something you can measure, you can actually then plan it in and, and do something with it. So that's probably how I would describe rugby in that sense. Does that sort of answer your it question? Absolutely does. It's it's really interesting to hear you say that. So when I went to the States to to do my sport a fair few years ago, they were so far ahead of where we were in, in the UK. One, they've all been wrestling since they could walk. In fact, some of them were probably wrestling before they could walk, and that's a main staple of if anybody loves the USC, they know the majority of the, the champions are um, wrestlers, just like Khabib and, and all that sort of stuff. So when you'd go over there, they, they did exactly what you said. They would break it down. So they would say, right, well, what's my weakness? Well, I'm, I'm crap at kicking. Great. So we'll, we'll work on kicking. Right. My, my double leg takedown's pathetic. So, right, we'll work on that. And they literally just worked on the weaknesses to get that 20% better that you're talking of. And I think in business, we do it as well. We always look at how can we beat the competition? We just want to beat them, beat them, beat them. 
well, how are we going to do it? Are we going to have better staff, better processes, implement systems, put KPIs in? Are we going to market and brand the business better? And you've got to break things down. It's how, how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. That's that's the basis of, of how we improve in any high performance. But interestingly, though, now that you've said that, if you were to ask me what my approach is, I'm much more of an all-in on your strengths and work on your weaknesses as you go than I am work on weaknesses. And I think it's an important differentiation to make because also, you know, I think there is a transfer of this as businesses. So I think about people's captain and I'm not a product focused craft brewer, even though we've won some awards. No big deal. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. But, no, no, no. But the point is, is, What's different about me, uh, about people's captain is we really care about our customers and we have one-on-one contact with every single person who buys beer. They chat to us on Instagram, email, text, everything. Me and the social girls are having those conversations. And that's our strength is our connection with our customers and the fact that they know that we really give a shit about them and we're going to have those conversations. So I've just realized I've probably been swearing the whole way through this. Interview. Totally fine. Totally fine. Don't worry about it. You're used to it. Um, but then the other, the other way you can look at that is, well, what do we need to get better on? And of course, operations, systems, margins, volume charts, and all the stuff that is of, absolutely no interest to me with spreadsheets and all this sort of whizzy stuff on it and that of course is going to improve performance but you still have to have a reason why you're great and this that's what I think has sort of made me think about it with the sport context is you still have to have a reason to be picked you still have to have a reason to be in the team you can't be just really like okay at everything you have to be a really good ball carrier or a really good defender. And then of course you can have weaknesses in and around and all the rest of it that you continually improve on. And I think that's, I think we're saying the same thing in that that will improve performance, but in sport and I think in business, you have to have the reason why you'd be picked. And I think that's, yeah. you know, your sort of stuff that you do is you could set up a business with you that you could go on holiday for a year and not have to touch. There is a very distinct difference between what yeah. you teach and what someone else is to teach. Do you see what I mean? So that's the reason. But of course, there's going to be these things that you have to work on all the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? No, no, I'll tell you what, now is a good chance to sort of give everybody um, an idea what the people's captain is. So can you give us just a, a bit of a lowdown? down? What is the people's captain? I am the people's captain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am... Sorry, I was trying to use that as an example, but I think I should have stayed on the sport uh, thing. But People's Captain is my craft craft beer company. I, I brewed some beers with some uh, regional breweries back in Leicester. Uh, as a bit of a hobby. Loved it. I'm a, a very sort of process-driven person. Like, I like taking some malt hops, you know, making the whole thing go mash time, like process, and you get it in a can at the end of it, and you're like... Fuck, I made that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I loved that process. And I got sponsored by this pub. And we were um, doing this launch night of the very first beer that um, that I did. 
but it was around the time that I'd done this article about my own personal battle with mental health. And I sort of did this article with David Walsh, the um, journalist who basically defunct um, Lance Armstrong, really lovely guy and super, super patient. You know, when you're talking about heavy stuff, you know, he just took his time. Uh, Really, really nice chat. And anyway, we sort of did this launch night and me and Manu were at the bar in Leicester. I'm kind of, you know, Manu's giving away far too many free pints, but we're having a great time. And I was sort of, people were, you know, this beer's awesome. Like, how did you make it? I'm like, well, let me tell you, we use these hops. Like, but actually what people wanted to talk about was, thanks so much for this article. You've really helped me start this conversation with my brother or my nephew or my daughter's been struggling with this. And actually it's helped me sort of, start that conversation and it, it kind of got me thinking you know we all have a have a drink and it's part of British culture but what, you know what if we made that count and what if beer or any form of drink could just be a way of opening up that conversation and a, a, a way for people to feel safe to do so mm. and I think um, then when lockdown came and kicked us all in the nuts at the beginning of last year I was obviously in the process of leaving Leicester at the time and thought, well, I'll just set it up as a DTC company so that I can have this direct um, connection with customers, find out more about them and whatever. But the only way I wanted to do it was if we actually supported something that I really believed in. So we set up the People's Captain Foundation, which goes live at the end of this week. And we've started out with... um, very manageable goal of raising a million quid for mental health initiatives that encourage action. So I think a lot of support at the moment is on raising awareness, which is Mm -hmm. super important and loads of great work's done on that. But I kind of, I know this sounds really skeptical, but what I worry about is if we're all just more aware, but then we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Would we, would we better off not knowing? So I think that where we want to, I want to put the money of the People's Captain Foundation to is those initiatives that's like, okay, I've got a problem. I'm now going to go and do this and do this and do this and can take people back to getting regular treatment, getting what they need to do to do it. And uh, that all kicks off at the end of this week, mate. So yeah, having a great time, loving it. Great. Well, listen, fingers crossed that goes well. Can you just give us a bit of a, going back to that article that you wrote with uh, with David Walsh about the, the mental health, are you, are you okay to share some of the, topics in that was it just your, your sort of mental health from your perspective how, how has that been generally? yeah sure no that's fine um I, I i had a horrific um time personally and was and was really really struggling and needed therapy needed medication was just in a real horrible place and uh i think the major moment that I realized it would be really helpful to talk and tell other people about this experience was, I was chatting away with my mates and um, one of them said, you know, my mum has been on medication for like 30 years and you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so in the squad, they're also taking stuff. And this guy he sees a therapist and, and I was like, oh, this is, 
this is actually quite a big problem. Like I'm not the only person. I'm not just like weak and I can't handle it or whatever. And like I'd been through a fair bit and had to wind down the service accommodation company and felt like this huge loss of identity with not seeing the kids and yeah. uh, divorce and all this stuff that is kicking off. And the, the medication that I was taking was giving me these horrible side effects and I was still having to try and play and train and all the rest of it. And I just think um, that moment where I realized that so many other people had been through this was just so important um, to me. But then equally as important was also it got to a point where I'd sort of bottled it up for so long and was trying to do it all myself and just make myself better and try and get to sleep by drinking as much as possible or taking the, the best sleepers that I could get my hands on. Um then actually I just needed to sit down with, with my mate and open a beer and just say, listen, this is how I'm feeling. Like, do you feel like this sometimes? He's no, I think like you should go and talk to someone or, you know, just that very normal what's going on. Um, so I think that was probably quite a big, those sort of two moments. There was the personal, Oh, I, I need to kind of actually talk about stuff. And secondly, I'm really not the only person to, to struggle with this. The amount of people that struggle with some sort of mental health is huge. I mean, I, I genuinely only found out that, oh, probably about maybe six, seven, eight years ago, that my dad had had a mental breakdown 25 years ago. And my mum had told really? me. Yeah, yeah. And, and I vaguely remember something about it, vaguely. Um, I mean, he had, he had, um, I tell you, he had electric, electro shop therapy where they, they literally electrocute you. That's how long ago it was. Yeah. I think I was six or seven. And we moved, um, we moved away so he could get some peace and quiet. And it wasn't until I, I found that. I mean, I've, I've been so, touchwood, so fortunate that, you know, everyone's got a breaking point, but we haven't, from a mental perspective, I've, I've been okay. And that's not me trying to act big and tough. It's just that I haven't been stressed enough in, in a certain way. But I do know a lot of people have. Um, when I heard that about my dad, that made me really sort of sit up and think, because he was, you know, your dad's a hero, he's your Superman, isn't he? And that was really mm. tough. It was tough for me to hear that. It, it was almost worse even that my dad had had it than, than I had it. Um, but that really woke me up. It sobered me up to the fact that it's a bigger conversation to have. And one of the first guy I, uh, I interviewed for this podcast, Dave McMillan, hope, hope he's listening. Really, really good guy. I've known him 20 odd years. And I didn't realise he had it. And he had a super, super, and he openly talked about it. I'm not talking out of school. And he had a super, super successful, like four and a half, five million pound turnover business. And it, it, it crashed spectacularly, nothing to do with him. Some some whistleblower had said that, oh, they're not doing this right. They're not doing that right. Because it was a funded business where the, the government give them funds. It was like a training business. They put all the, the funding on hold, found out they had absolutely done nothing wrong. But by then it was too late. He had been at peer people, staff, et cetera, et cetera. And he went into a bit of a mental me, mental spiral downwards after that. And thankfully, you know, he's, he's, he's doing really well now. But it was from the people that you'd never expect that would suffer from it. But I suppose they're the people that there's the most pressure on. Yeah. I mean, the, there's a really good book, actually, which is on my desk, but not for any other reason than I've just made a load of notes. But what you can change and what you can't. Martin Seligman is yeah. a, he's a professor of positive psychology and just... He talks a lot about, um, you know, we, there are some of us who are genetically more predisposed to 
mental ill health. Yeah. But I think the, the most important thing to understand, um, and I, I think one of the things that I dislike the most is when people say mental health, the image you have in your head is a black and white image with someone with their head in their hands looking at the corner of a room. Yeah. Mental health is both sides of the spectrum. We have really good times and really bad times. Yeah. And we are all at some point on that spectrum in the better and worse times. And of course, it completely depends on what's happening in your life, the circumstances, the stresses that you put on yourself or that are put on you by external factors. But there is also, without a doubt, according to professionals, genetic things that we can't do anything about. Also the way we were brought up that we can't do anything about. So just our general level of optimism or pessimism is going to have an effect on those things. So I think as a piece of actionable information for people, I think it's just an important thing to do to be as self-aware as you possibly can be, check in with yourself, check in with other people. And I think then you that's your almost your first line of defense is actually this is too much for me. I need to leave that and move on to something else. And then, you know, you've got somewhere to start. But it, it is frightening that with something like this, that it just can get so far away from you before you think about doing anything about it, which I think is why the raising awareness thing is so important. Yeah, I mean, I, I play rugby for a little local, local rugby team called Seam, and we've just got some it's, it's okay not to be okay T-shirts. So we're all rocking that now. Um, you know, a couple of the guys have, have struggled during lockdown. You know, we've all tried to rally around as you do because, you know, the rugby fraternity, your brothers. Um, to those who don't play rugby, it might sound a little bit cheesy, but it's not. It's 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 the way it is. You look after each other. So, and again, it's nice to see that a lot more rugby clubs up here are, are doing exactly the same. Mm. So, yeah, it's super important. Yeah, it is. So let, let's talk about your business aspect, because as, as long as I've known you, you've not been, it's wrong to pigeonhole you as a rugby player, as successful as what you are. Um, you've been very, very business orientated. And that's how I actually, I, I came across you first as a, as a, in, in a in a community of property investors first. And then, then I realised that you're a professional rugby player, which was I thought was doubly as impressive because you were really pushing the property at the time. Um, a lot of our readers are estate agents and letting agents and property investors. Can you just tell us a little bit about your property life and your property journey and how that's going? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that is how we we first uh, got together. But I think in terms of identity, I don't think I would ever pigeonhole myself now anyway. Um, but I, <clears throat> what I started with a flip, I think. Um, yes, it was a flip where I got in touch with the local empty homes bloke for the council at the time, asked him what empties there were around, found one that was like 50% under asking price, then I couldn't afford to do it. So I found a local development firm, said I'd split them in and then gave them 70% because obviously they were putting all the work into doing it. And I literally walked away with 30% for just literally doing that. And I thought, oh, this is so easy. Yeah. Never did another empty flip again. Um, but serviced accommodation became super popular. And also, you know, 
let's not forget professional rugby not like professional football you know we, we we do really well but we're not you know getting house prices every week to uh to just fund new projects so i was looking for strategies that were uh, easier to to generate cash flow rather than having higher barriers to entry so developments and big hmos and stuff wasn't really for me it was more the rent to rent or surface accommodation so what i did was set up thriving spaces in leicester we had by the end we had nine apartments well over 80 85% occupancy rates um which i really loved doing because it was kind of back to this you know thinking about what i was talking about before that kind of customer service the things that we did that other people didn't do you know real high service you know we were like 9.9 on booking.com like just top top level and you can charge so much more for it and i think um we ended up having to wind that down for two reasons one me and my business partner's personal life personal lives were falling apart two um i was had a someone that worked for me that was just being a complete pain in the ass and three it was also just after uh we got the seed funding to go and buy a block of 54 two-bed apartments in town because I proved the model with this corporate lease high cash flow but obviously the margin wasn't great because it was I'm paying top whack rents but I just wanted to prove that it could be done and then basically go to a bank and say look I want to buy this block and boom there you are and then was in touch with the developer all the way through the process, thought this was nailed on, ready to go. Seed funding's agreed. So we started letting the um, apartments go back to the landlords and I'd signed nothing, just took him completely on his word and he'd gone with someone else. Like someone else came in and offered him way more. And it was just one of those where I was like, I've learned a lot from that experience that my word is obviously doesn't mean as much to them as what I thought his did to me. And, and that's fine. Uh, but also it was the right time to kind of park those things. Um, so I haven't done any property since other than my own residential home that I live lived in and have now sold to come and live here in Monmouth. But the system side of service accommodation was, was just a nightmare. Um, you know, you can have the best um channel manager you can have the best manager that works for you but you have to have a team around you that completely gets what you're trying to do and can react to things that come in because there's always someone that loses their key there's always an apartment that's damaged and you've got to move someone you've got to have someone that can think on their feet and make something happen and i just don't think that as a business owner at that time I, A, fully understood that, and B, was in a position to put those things in place to really make that what it was to, to be what it could have been. But as a learning experience and, you know, as a business, I'm, you know, really proud of what, what we achieved. Um, but, yeah, I think, that, you know, that's I'm probably the least property experienced person on your, on your property show mate you're not actually i interviewed a guy last week joe levy who's a who's a psychologist he wrote a couple of good books actually um why we do the things we do and 
psychology for busy people. And he has nothing to do with property. But it was interesting that you were talking about psychology for uh, for business people. So that was interesting. So um, what you learned from your uh, your service accommodation or your time in property, have you put that into the people's captain? Have you have you learned from that? And is it, is it a bit more systemized and a bit more structured? Yeah, it is, it is, it is a lot more. It's certainly more robust. Um, I think, you know, also... I don't have a garage that's big enough to brew 1,200 hectolitres of beer. So I'm reliant on someone else storing that for me and brewing that for me um, to to my recipes, as it were. Um, So inherently, it is a lot more systemised anyway. But also, uh, this is growing in in such an exponential way and scale when it comes with trade and all the rest of it. You just have to have those systems in place if you want to if you want to be serious about things also you know it's not like i can ring dean up and say mate sorry i can't come to training today i've got a delivery of some beer to make like i have a job and i ha- and i have to get there so i need this to be able to to tick over in a efficient way that allows scale without needing me to do everything all the time yeah what what are your plans for the people's captain you, is it is it scalability at the minute is it proven you've proven the concept it's you know, it's a great drink. I was looking on the Instagram. You've got about four or five different flavors at the minute. Five beers, yeah. Five so beers. we will. We're actually in the process of doing our first big fundraise shortly within the next month or two. Um, when I say big, you know, it's not enormous, but you know, it's for me. It's about making sure that the right people come in that align with the values of of, of yeah. me and the other guys. And also, I don't ever want to grow this so quickly that we'll move away from what we're all about. Um, you know, I want to support my foundation. So if, I don't know, some pub group came along and said, oh, we'll give you 50 million quid tomorrow, but you've got to wind the foundation down, I wouldn't do it because that's not what the core of, of the business is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's having that in mind, I'm not really under any stress with how quickly this grows because I've literally bootstrapped this. We've literally like done a minimal viable product to get this out the door and going. And it looks great. People love it. And we're, we're going great guns. We'll move into trade later in the year now that pub gardens and stuff are back open. Mm. Um, and then, you know, just push on from there. Sounds absolutely fantastic. So I sincerely wish you the best of luck. We'll put some links to uh, to the website, and if anyone can order any cases, we'll put that um, we'll put that below. So well done. Um, we always finish off with a signature question. So bearing in mind you've played for some some really good captains and against some good captains, what is leadership to you? How would you define leadership? I think the best captains i've played for are continually striving to be better themselves Mm. so i think leadership for me is learning i think there is nothing more toxic than trying to follow someone who thinks they have all the answers Mm -hmm. i think i'm much more interested in putting the right people around me that have answers that i don't and my job is to show them what I think the future could look like and how I use their skills and we can learn together to get there, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. 
Absolutely does. Yeah, I think that's a I've combined a, a few things there, but yeah. learning, team, future, something along those lines. Can I ask you a couple? I know I said that was a signature question, but I'm really interested, and you, you'll be sick of asking, hearing these questions. Who was the best player you ever played with, and who was the best player you ever played against? Or you can name a couple. I mean, don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I have to name. Uh, yeah. Oh, you know, I'm really lucky to have played with Manu, Ben Youngs, George Ford. Tom Youngs, Dan Colt, like some Johnny May, like some just yeah. amazing, amazing rugby players. But I think one of those who just always goes, Matt Tamua, if he ever listens to this, um, one of those who will just always go under the radar is Sione Kalamafoni, who's now at Scarlet's. But number eight, Tongan, um, but just you only ever had to tell him a move or a line out or something once and he just got it. Mm. Super physical, worked his absolute nuts off and you could just always rely on him and just a lovely, lovely guy. Best player I've played against? I mean... In a few... Yeah, we, we played against Argentina once. Leicester played against Argentina because it was Marcos's testimonial year. So we ended up playing this test match at Welford Road. And I ended up playing against the Argentinian front row, which wasn't, wasn't the most fun sort of 65 minutes of my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the French teams has always been someone you've never heard of that is just an absolute freak that can do things that he's just never seen before. I did have an excellent uppercut from Pascal Pape once. When did I you really? Yeah, he caught me an absolute treat. I was playing a hooker at the time, so my arms were behind my back, and, yeah, he got me an absolute butte, but, you know, fair enough. Did you, did you go down? That's the most important thing. Well, I was. we were already down. We were <laughs> scrummaging, so I was, uh, you know, so I just sort of then just took my time getting back up. It was, it was all right. <laughs> Um, but I think it's because I hit him just after he'd uh, he passed the ball. So he was then he was after me then. And that was yeah. it. Yeah. You don't want to wind those big boys up. They're ready for you. Good, good. So yeah. Greg, just want to say thank you so much. It's been absolutely brilliant catching up and, and talking about your rugby career and um, the plans you've got. I think the people's captain's gonna be an absolute hit. And if there's anything I can do to help support it or, or help promote it, I'd be more than happy to, mate. I think it's a great, great what you're doing. I think the foundation is just the icing on the cake of a fantastic, already fantastic product. So well done. And um, I generally wish you all the success. Thanks very much for having me. And I will make sure I send a code to you to put so that your listeners can get a nice little discount off, uh, off the beers, mate. We can Appreciate that. enjoy together. Excellent, Greg. Thank you very much.